Hello, everybody. Good evening. My name is Derek Arden and welcome to Monday Night Live. Tonight on Monday Night Live, I have Susan Rowan from San Francisco, from California. Susan wrote uh, her first book in 1988. It was called How to Stand Out in a Crowd in Those Days. And then the name was changed, which I'm curious about. It was called How to Work a Room. Welcome, Susan. Thanks for joining us. And give us a snapshot of how you got into this business. Totally fell into it. I'm a former public school teacher. San Francisco laid off 1,200. I was one of them. And I decided to do a career change workshop to help teachers figure out what to do later because everyone bought into if you can't, those who can do and those who can't teach, that's not true. Because if you look around, so many former teachers are successes. And I might add, Sting started as a public school teacher, not a music teacher, an English teacher. And he probably would never start a sentence with me and my friends, like all the people I hear now. You could, I have a t-shirt someone got me that said, I'm silently correcting your grammar. So I would just let you know that. Um, and I that grew into writing for the San Francisco Examiner because I went and talked about the teachers. An editor heard me. Can we do a local career series? And I did what I call him my mentor of the moment, though he doesn't even know me. Barry Diller said, I said, yes. I said yes to something that scared the living daylights out of me. And that turned into all of this. And I wrote for the career series. And then a friend of mine, Judith Bryles, did a workshop for potential authors because she was a New York Times bestselling author. She held up my column and said, Suze, you could really write how to work a room should be a book. I call her the godmother of how to work a room. But in the UK, they changed the title. And I love the book. And may I show it to you? Of course. How to Shine in a Crowd. And then they called it From Cocktails to Conferences, Practical Advice on How to Work a Room. But they said, oh, Brits would never know what how to work a room meant. And I said to my editor, they have a queen who's the best at it. In the second version, they took how to work a room, but I have loved this cover and this title all these years. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. And I was lucky enough to meet Patricia, be involved with speakers, though I was speaking way before I joined. And life has been a, a journey. Brilliant. Okay, well, um, we talk about networking here more than how to work a room. What's the difference between networking and work in a room? Well. I know for a fact they're different because I wrote How to Work Room and I wrote The Secrets of Savvy Networking, two different books, and I never repeated one word. Wow. Uh, how to Shine in a Crowd, How to Work a Room is how do we go into those events, conferences, parties, gatherings, and how do we meet people, connect, etc. Sometimes it's even um, for us, our high school reunions, maybe it's even family reunions which can be sometimes very scary. But how do we get in there and manage the social and come away with feeling engaged? 
savvy networking, well, I call networking what you do after you work the room, it's the follow-up. Because there are some people we know that are so good at being in a room and meeting people, but they have none of the follow-up. So they mm. don't really have a network. On the other hand, there are people that are wonderful networkers. They do what they say they're going to do when they say they're going to do it. But the thought of walking into a room full of people at a party, a conference, an event, a wedding makes them have agita. Because most of us don't feel comfortable being around people we don't know. And this is what How to Work Room is famous for. And me quoting my mother and every mother I know that said, don't talk to strangers. And a lot of us, we bought into that. So How to Work Room is about how to get over that. And secrets and savvy networking is about what do you do daily, weekly, monthly, consistently? How do you live your life to stay connected, to stay in touch, to follow up, to be what I call in secrets a savvy networker, the, the matchmaker. Mm. In fact, I even did a, a chapter called Networker, Networker, Make Me a Match. Brilliant. So uh, we don't go charging around the room, giving our business card out to everybody, do we? As Never. we know, some people do. Um, but um, let's talk about men and women. Are men and women different to when they work a room? The answer is yes. And we can borrow some of the best qualities from each group. Women, and I've heard the wonderful author, Tom Peters say it, women are relationship people. And very often men are more transactional in their networking and in their daily lives. But what we found after women came up with this word networking, this is in the 19, oh, actually the, the late seventies, is they were looking at men saying, oh, the old boys network. Mm. And they wanted to be like the old boys. And then the old boys began to look at how women were doing it, where they were talking to people, following up, staying in touch. Oh, we want to do what they're doing. So it's really now a combination of the best qualities of both. But that relational part is so important because you'll hear a lot of businesses say, our business is a relationship business. Well, what business isn't? They're all relationships. And to me, the speaking business, the, even going to the doctor, if you have a doctor that doesn't have a little bit of relationship, you kind of don't feel they're listening to you. Mm -hmm. oh, absolutely. So it's a combination of both. Okay. You wrote, you wrote about the concept of referrals 25 years ago. In um, How's that changed? I mean, the world's changed very fast with everything that's going on with artificial intelligence. Well, and um, I would like to remind people, it's called artificial intelligence. Um, and by the way, we knew someone, a colleague of ours here, who is working on artificial intelligence. We knew him from National Speakers Association at Stanford literally 30 years ago. This isn't new. How we've come to use it has become very interesting and the abuse of it interesting as well. Um, Referrals are still, there's something at the core of them that's the same. And LinkedIn helped, and this was LinkedIn's original mission, was to expand on the networks we have so we could meet 
people beyond the 25 or 30, it might end up being that 150. But the core of it is, do you really recommend someone to your best client who you don't like, respect, trust, and think they'll do a good job and have great follow through? No. And on the other hand, do you recommend someone to go to a restaurant where you hated the food and the service? No. So in so much referrals, we've kind of made it a science. Here's how you get referrals. Here's what I say. Number one, we need to know what we need. And by the way, that kind sometimes can be a lot of work. What do I really need? Second of all, we need to let people know without backing them in the corner. So maybe I'm a, a little more uh, lighthearted in how I do it, but I don't go up to someone and say, I need you to give me your leads. And by the way, now you think I'm making that up, but we met a woman at Women Entrepreneurs who said to a friend of mine who had a hotel in Russia, oh, I need to know some of some of your leads. And my friend gave her three leads. I said, why would you give her a lead? You don't even know who she is. She goes, trust me, she won't follow up. Because my friend said to her, you follow up those leads and call me back and I'll give you five more. Never followed up. Mm. So really the, the referral is this. Let people know what you need. And what I like to say to people is, you know, I'm looking to do this. I'm looking for this. If you know of someone or if you hear anything, please let me know. Please keep me in mind. Now, I know that's some people would say that's a little too wishy-washy, but I find that it doesn't put pressure on someone, but it informs them. I call it the Toyota Tercel syndrome. I didn't know anything about Toyota Tercels until I bought one. And that's all I saw on the road because I was aware. So it's your way of letting people be aware. But I want to give you another tip and you all do this, but if you have kids or uh, people you're mentoring, when you ask someone or let them know you need something, follow up. I don't know about you, but the savvy networkers follow up. And then the third trait they have, and this is what makes them different than the people that say they network and have the networking skills of ticks is, I, that was my little judgmental sidebar. Um, go back to the person and let them know where you are in the process. A lot of people don't go back. I know someone that, um, I, when I was a teacher, I worked with, and then they brought me in to speak as a, um, as a speaker in San Francisco. And she said to me, my nephew, my son gave my nephew a lead because my nephew was starting a business in financial and it turned into a $10,000 client that my son only heard about through Scuttlebutt. The nephew never came to him and said, thank you so much this client ended up investing 10,000. By the way, that's when that's, that's when 10,000 was a lot of money. I'm kidding. It's still a lot of money. But to not let someone know that something turned into something wonderful mm -hmm. is a huge mistake. 
savvy networkers don't do that. And let me give you the phrase, and maybe this is an American phrase, but let me see if it translates. They keep people in the loop. No. They let, but by the way, I'm from Chicago and our downtown was called the loop. No, that trans that translates into um, into uh, over over this this side of the pond. Now Brits um, are a bit nervous about being too in people's faces, but you gave us a good way of um, of uh, describing uh, almost third partying what you're looking for. Um, so I, I like that. That wouldn't be something I'd say to Patricia Fripp. That's too American. That was okay. That's okay with me over here so good good um brilliant so what about icebreakers so we go into the room even you and i who teach all sorts of things feel a little bit nervous when we don't know anybody and you know we, we're looking for an open group where we can be welcomed um what do you say at that point well first of all i'm going to give the homework uh, you can take the teacher out of the classroom you can't take the classroom out of the teacher so the homework is, before we go into any event, any room, any conference, any meeting, we need to do our due diligence. We need to do a little preparation. You can find out who's there by simply going to the website. But the other thing is, and this really does upset me, people will say things like, well, I never listen to the news. It's too upsetting. Oh, I go, that's why you don't know anything. You know. We have newspapers, we, we can get it on our phones. We should know what's going on in our community, in the world. I mean, they're thinking about doing another school tax here in Marin. I need to know about that because I'm gonna pay that and it's gonna be a conversation somewhere or our library is asking for donations. Um, okay, we need to know. So go in everywhere with three topics that you could talk about that you've read about. Now, someone else will come in with three topics that you don't know about. But here's the thing, if someone brings something up that you're not familiar with, let me give you the words. Oh, I haven't heard about that. Would you tell me more? That's how we learn. I mean, I'm not a techie. When these people would walk in and say things like uh, uh, algorithm, and I had no clue what they were talking about, having not done well in algebra. Um, I didn't know, but that's how I learned. Please, can you tell me more? Oh, I, I didn't know. And here's another thing. A lot of people won't say this, but the words that I've got have served me well. Wow, I didn't know that. So what you're saying to the person is, I didn't know that before you told me. And you're giving someone a compliment for teaching you something. So that's that would be it. Other icebreakers, every room we go into, we either drove there, we took the tube, we did something. You can talk about the traffic. You can talk about how about if they're serving food. One of the things I like to say to people is if it's an event with food, and I assume you have events where they serve hors d'oeuvres. Okay. Start at the dessert table. Oh, wow. If you start, I tell you why. When you start at the dessert table and someone's holding a little uh, eclair, 
or a crumpet or a chocolate chip cookie, those people will talk to you. They're the dessert people. Well, you can say, oh, is that good? Oh, do you think it has a lot of calories? Oh, that is that as good as it looks? People love to talk about food. And that's why our great grandmothers and mothers, they knew it. That's why you got served food. When you go anywhere where there is food, talking about the food is what you have in common. But I love the dessert table. Uh, one of the things I often say is, I never started the cut up vegetable tables because I never met anyone very interesting standing around cut up vegetables, but that's just a personal preference. But food, I don't really drink, but I have found that if you stand in line to get a drink, even if it's a club soda, talking to the people in line, hmm. you know, oh, what are you having? Oh, what brought you here? Little things. How about, I call it the Bonnie Raitt famous singer. She had a song, let's give them something to talk about, but she was talking about something different. But you wear a pin, a scarf, a hat. If someone's wearing a great scarf, you notice it. Our former Secretary of State, the late Madeleine Albright, always did her negotiations wearing a brooch on her left shoulder. And she did that. And actually, I met her and told her that I quoted her. Um, she did that so she could give the heads of state and the diplomats who had never met a woman head of state that they had to deal with something to talk about. Hmm. Now, she also did this, which I liked. If she knew she didn't like the person, she'd wear the snake pin or the tarantula pin. So she matched it to the person. But give people something to talk about. And here is the icebreaker. When you walk into a room and you see someone with an interesting tie, pin, a scarf, brooch, they're giving you permission to talk to them. Mm. I bought my brother, who was the attorney for the Water Reclamation Department in Chicago. He was a big Three Stooge fan. I don't know if the Three Stooges translated over. Oh, did they? May I do that? Okay. So the Three Stooges, I got him a tie that said, it had Mo Curly and Larry on it. And it said, Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe, attorneys at law. And I, I said to my brother, did you ever wear the tie I bought you? He told me he had a very testy meeting to go to in Chicago, which I don't even have to go further into explain what that is. But he needed people to come up to him because he was the person they needed to ask questions and he knew people would be shy. He said, wearing that tie, people came over to them because someone who's got the three stooges hanging from their neck, and this is the word to write down, is approachable. So a fun tie, the holidays are up. People are already wearing their Christmas ties, their elves ties. Someone who's doing that is giving us permission to meet them. Brilliant. No, thanks for that. Um, so where does the shyness factor come from? We've talked on the show about Amy Cuddy, fake it till you make it. And uh, she talks about the imposter syndrome and there's various views on that. But, you know, where does it come from? Are we all shy? Well, here's why we got shy when we were like, 
two or three and our parents introduced us to an adult and we hid behind our parents, our parents would say, oh, she's just shy. And I have to tell you, because on Friday I was in San Francisco um, doing the town for the holidays and we were in front of the Tony Bennett sculpture and there was a lovely family there with a cute little boy who um, probably didn't want to talk to the woman with white hair, but his father said, oh, he's shy. And I took his father by the arm and said, don't do that to him because he's going to hear that. And when you want him to meet someone, he's going to go, my father already said I'm shy. I don't have to talk to you. So I think we get taught to be shy. And I think it's in our genes. We need to be, you know, we're taught to be careful, et cetera. But some people aren't shy. It also depends on cultures and raising, et cetera. And our parents are our role models. What's been interesting for me, and it was the core of how to work a room, is Dr. Philip Zimbardo of Stanford uh, founded the Stanford Shyness Clinic. And he discovered in the 1980s that 80% of American adults identified as shy. It was kind of similar to in, in the UK, though there are other some of the Asian countries, it was a higher number. Mm. But by 1988, the number had skyrocketed to 88%. And they asked Dr. Zimbardo, what do you consider the reason for this? The people think of themselves as shy. And he said one word, and this was in 1988, technology. Can you imagine now with our phones and our TikToks and our texting that so many people don't talk to each other because technology has even gotten more uh, amplified. So technology has made us worse at it, but this is the point that we need to understand. When we go into a room, a conference, a meeting, a party, literally, at least 85% of the people will feel more uncomfortable than you. Hmm. So I'm going to give you the Susan Rowan tip. Go for it. Go for it. In any room, when you see someone standing alone, that's the person to go over to. Number one, they're probably more uncomfortable than you. They'll probably be the person that self-identifies as shy. That doesn't mean that they're a snob. That just means they're uncomfortable and unsure. And you can strike up a conversation with someone standing alone. You've relieved them from anonymity. You've noticed them. Look what we do to be noticed. I wear fancy earrings and a scarf. Notice me, notice me. But if you're the person that notices the person standing alone who might be a little shy, well, I know there's some people would say, that's a great strategy, Susan, but I'm going to tell you what it really is. It's a kind thing to do. Brilliant. Now you've got a lovely rhyming phrase that I liked. Um, remembering names is such a strain. We all have trouble remembering names. We've all got our own strategies. Those of us that are teachers, leaders or whatever, but uh, it's a massive issue for everybody. What's your tip? My tip is, um, by the way, 
now at a certain age, I don't even remember what I had for breakfast. And that was like 30 minutes ago. But um, here's a couple of tips. I learned this when I was speaking for, I was speaking in El Paso and a gentleman who was the vice president of the Harlem Globetrotters. And I don't know, you know, they globetrot and they play basketball all yeah, over. It makes sense over here. Yeah, he was the vice president. You know how I knew he was the vice president? He was five foot four. But anyway, he, Manny said to me, Susan, here's the, what you need to tell people. Make it easy. He said, you may have met someone and it's six months later and you're at another event. Don't make people struggle. He said, what you tell people is every time you walk into a room, you put your hand out for the handshake and always say your first and last name. Because he said, if you forgot their name, believe me, they forgot your name. But if you initiate with the your name, people generally respond in kind. So that way, I say my name, you say your name, Derek. We both have each other name, and then we move on to the conversation. One of the things I learned when my grandfather was quite the senior I learned this is what we do this, and this is we should never do this to anyone. And we must tell all of our friends and our children to not do this to us when we get old. Don't walk into a room and say to someone, do you remember me? I don't remember where I put my keys. I don't ask, because someone did this to my grandfather. It was my Aunt Tilly, went away to Toronto for two weeks, came back to Chicago, and I was told, said to my grandfather, who at the time was 86, Pa, do you remember me? And this is where I get my sense of humor. My grandfather looked at her and said, Tilly, you mean you forgot? We must never put people at that discomfort level. We must always say our names. And for remembering names, instead of these mnemonic crazy, put a pot and a hot and a whatever on a head, if you don't remember someone's name, save yourself time and say, I'm at a disadvantage. Thank you for remembering my name. Could you help me out and tell me your name? And why say help me out? Because people like to be helpful. And once they tell your name, repeat it. And then if it's a name that's a little complicated to say, say the first and last name and ask, did I get that right? Give people the opportunity to correct you if you're wrong so that you can say their name correctly. So if you don't remember a name, say so. And I know that a lot of people these days don't pass out cards. They say things like, oh, you can look me up on LinkedIn. Well, do you want to hear my rather maybe a tad snide response to that? If there are some people that still like to have a card so they could see your name, et cetera, we should all have at least five cards on us for people who are a little more senior and a little more visual. But when I, I was the first woman speaker for LinkedIn, because it's from here, for LinkedIn's uh, first conference for their women engineers. And I was talking to a woman 
who was a little more senior. She was the, um, not an engineer, but she was the assistant for the vice president. I said, do you have a card? And she said, oh, you can look me up on LinkedIn. Mm. Now, when I give this as a speech, what I say is, really? She gave me homework. Don't give people homework. I know people want, sometimes if you don't have a card, people will want to take a picture of your card. They'll go right to LinkedIn. But here's what happens with LinkedIn. We link in with people and then we don't follow up because we have like a thousand people on LinkedIn. I always say it's got to be a combination of old school and new school. Now, a couple of questions there, and we're nearly out of time. This has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, I was talking to some MBAs on uh, on Friday, and they asked me, and this is a question my daughter asked me as well, and remember, this is the UK and not the more forward America. Um, women, should I put my hand out to shake a man's hand? Now, my daughter has had uh, men sort of think, you know, do that alpha male thing, and almost look at her like uh, who do you think you are and the same question came from the chinese and indian ladies that were studying in the uk uh, and this was real time now so that's the uh, first question the second question is i said to someone do you have a card and he said no i'll show you my qr code on my phone and you can take a picture of it and i went come on you know thank you <laughs> You know, part of marketing is we have to market to people in the way they want to be communicated with. And by the way, I've had a QR code for like 15 years. And now it's becoming, you can't go anywhere without a QR code. But the truth is there's still some people that don't want to be bothered with that stuff. So I am now I want to get to your question about the handshake. Because I did in how to work a room, I did a section to not be misinterpreted. Because back when I first wrote it, the men took any sign of friendliness as, oh, she's interested in me. Mm. So what I did is, first of all, please men here, forgive me, but I'm gonna give you the answer I give. Men don't know what the hell to do with this. So here's, a, if you're in business, we need to, ex the business, the handshake is the business communication. This is a pre-COVID answer. So the handshake is it. So what women must do to let men know they're serious. And my mother taught me how to shake hands. She, you know, my mother was in business for a long time in Canada. What we do is we extend our hand and to make sure that the message is clear, straighten your elbow so no one can come close. Back when I first wrote it, I called it uh, the Michael Jordan handshake. And then I went to the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar handshake. And now I call it in the newest version, the Steph Curry handshake, because he plays with the Golden State Warriors. Um, don't, don't bend your elbow. Don't let anyone get in. Keep that distance. Mm -hmm. Keep in. And that way that keeps people. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. I get it. Never thought of that. Hadn't heard that one before. Never even thought about it. So I love it. Love it. Okay. Okay. So we're uh, almost out of time. Um, one last tip 
from your vast experience that you heard from someone else, I'm going to ask you to come back and talk about Tony Robbins and Jim Rohn and uh, myths as well. And even Ivan Meissner, because I know that you know him personally, the founder of BNI. And I was privileged to be on the Golden Gate Breakfast Club with you when uh, when you interviewed him. So um, one last tip. One last tip. Everywhere you go, bring me sitting on your shoulder. So when you see someone that you think I'd like to talk to and I don't, just think, what would Susan tell me to do? Hmm. It would be go over, meet them. Because here's my big message. You never know. Everyone has a big marketing thing. You never know. So the corollary that is, we must be nice to everyone. You never know. Because that person in the, and it happened to me where I was judgmental at an event with all the corporate accountants. And there was a guy wearing just a sweater. And I remember saying to the managing partner, who's he? And he said to me, Susan, don't judge him. He was early in the internet in Silicon Valley. He said, he's not our client. We would kill to have him be our client. He could buy and sell everyone in the room. And he's not wearing a suit because he doesn't have to. Mm. So you never know. And you never know who that senior woman or man or if they own 51% of the company or their son or grandson can get you the client you want. And even if none of that is, because I had someone once say to me, and this is the networking part I'll give you. One of our very dear and my first radio interviewer, Noah Griffin said, he judges people by how they treat the people not in a position to help them. Mm-hmm. So that would be my tip. Be nice to everyone. Fantastic. Susan, that was fantastic. I'm going to put you on gallery view. I'm going to ask members of Monday Night Live to give you their thanks in the normal way. Thank you. Well, there's Patricia. And of course, with Patricia on, we get the uh, the full Monty of the... Uh, Clapping. Susan, how do people get in touch with you if they want to buy your book, etc.? Well, the the books are in bookstores. Um, they're through Amazon and whatever you have in the UK. Um, I don't sell the books because my line is I'm not in the shipping and schlepping business, but um, I, I prefer to support your own local bookstores who can all get it in order in an order and i know that i get a lot of flack from that but i really feel we have to support bookstores or we won't have them and libraries can get them for you too but if you want to get in touch with me it's susanroan.com s-u-s-a-n-r-o-a-n-e.com and it's susan at susanroan.com and if you have a burning question please email me and I would be happy to answer because I don't want anyone to have heartburn. Um, and if needs be, and we need to have a few more moments, we'll do a Zoom and we'll have a chat about it. Fantastic. Well, thanks very much. We've got one or two questions. Will you stay on to answer them? And I'm going to stop the recording now. Thank you so Her- much for joining us. And I hope you will come back over the pond to see us at some stage. I'd love that. <laughs>